Last Wednesday, the NCAA announced amendments to the guidelines that determine if a transferring athlete can gain immediate eligibility at their new school. Before the new guidelines, waivers were considered on a case-by-case basis by a committee within the NCAA. In order for a transfer athlete to be granted immediate eligibility, a student athlete had to provide, quote, documented mitigating circumstances outside of the student athlete's control and directly impacts the health, safety, or well-being of the student athlete, end quote. The system had recently come under fire this offseason when high-profile players Justin Fields and Tate Martell received waivers to play immediately at their new schools, Ohio State and Miami, Florida, respectively, seemingly taking advantage of the ambiguous nature of mitigating circumstances while a low-profile player like Illinois tight end Luke Ford was denied a waiver after wanting to transfer closer to his ailing grandparents. Per AP Sports college football writer Ralph Russo, the latest changes focus on four guidelines out of 13 most frequently cited in waiver cases. They are claims of athletes being recruited over, otherwise known as being processed, claims of egregious behavior by the original school, injured or ill immediate family members, or injury or illness to the student-athlete. Now let's get this out of the way first. Like most things in adult life, this is an incredibly complex topic with no easy solutions that is made more contentious by human emotion. And that's okay. College sports are awesome in large part because they speak to us on an emotional level. But with that in mind, I would like to use a column written by Dan Wolken of USA Today as a roadmap for this topic, because I think it represents a growing consensus among sports writers in the country. Wolken, along with prominent college football writer Stuart Mandel and ESPN talking head Jay Billis, is a proponent of giving college football and basketball players a one-time pass during their career to transfer free and clear. No waivers, no extenuating circumstances, no questions. Wolken argues that this is an obvious decision and will almost certainly be a reality within the next five years. This is where my internal alarms start to go off. Instinctively, I hate this idea, mostly because I hate the idea of college football free agency, which is exactly what this is. I don't see any scenario where college football free agency does not exclusively benefit the haves of the sport at the detriment of the have-nots. And in a sport that has a very large parity problem right now, I only see this exacerbating the issue. For instance, what would have prevented Ed Oliver from transferring out of Houston to Alabama, Oklahoma, or Clemson once Tom Herman left? For that matter, what would prevent any prominent NFL draft prospect from leaving a smaller school to one of the Blue Bloods as soon as they start getting traction from NFL scouts? Aaron Jones, the talented starting running back for the Green Bay Packers, played his college ball at UTEP, perhaps the single worst program in all of FBS, and he had Will Hernandez, an All-American guard and second-round draft pick, blocking for him. If the Blue Bloods came calling, and they certainly would have, how on earth did they say no to that? How on earth does UTEP defend against that? However opposed I am to this instinctively, It must also be acknowledged at the same time, though, that the NCAA is in the middle of this, and that always complicates things exponentially. That fact alone almost forces me to take seriously any proposal that makes things simpler. And what was surprising to me, 
This is where Dan Wolken actually centers his argument in the column that I discussed earlier. To his credit, Wolken does not attribute malice to the NCAA. Quite the contrary. His bottom line is that the NCAA is a lumbering bureaucracy attempting to carry out the will of more than 1,000 schools in disparate spheres of financial strength, academic might, and athletic ambition. Summed up, this argument is something I'm very sympathetic to. Simple rules for a complex problem. Now, I was originally going to use this opening take as a stump to blast the college football media yet again for an emotional opinion that is shaped by a distinct worldview that not everyone shares. But after reading a ton of opinion pieces, I've decided that this is a rare issue where there is no obvious answer and that all opinions and proposals may have to be on the table. It's my hope over the course of this podcast that Lee and I are going to be able to have a substantive dialogue about it coming up here. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. First down, Oklahoma, and even more, Sermon, still on the move, Sermon to the corner, touchdown Sooners, 53 yards. Trey Sermon puts the finishing touches on Bedlam 2017, his 53-yard touchdown run sealed the 62-52 win for the Sooners. As you all know, Trey Sermon wears the number four, so I couldn't think of a better person to start the show as we all get to celebrate America this week on the 4th of July. Hey everybody, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. We'll bring him back in a moment for some more hot transfer rules talk, plus of course some hot OU football talk. But first, let me quickly go over what we're going to talk about today on the show. We got Big 12 Media Days coming up in less than two weeks. And the Big 12 Conference asked media members to submit their preseason picks by today, July the 3rd. That's when we're recording this. That means Grant and I have made our preseason All-Big 12 team picks. And on the show today, we're going to go over our preseason All-Big 12 offense. Next week, we'll go over the defense. Then during the week of Big 12 Football Media Days, we'll go over our preseason polls. But again, today, we're going to go over our preseason All-Big 12 Conference picks for offense. Also on the show, Baker Mayfield said some pretty mean things about Sam Ellinger a couple weeks ago, and we didn't talk about it on the show, so today we will. Plus, I'm not sure how much we'll talk about this, but Terry Bradshaw said some mean things about Sam Ellinger recently as well, so it has not been a great few weeks for the Texas quarterback, and I guess we'll talk about that a little bit, I, I think. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if uh, we have time. Kansas State is the next team up in our early opponent previews, and I'm going to make an executive decision and punt on that topic today. I haven't had time to look up a couple of interesting talking points in regards to K-State, so we're just going to skip them for now. Instead of that, we're going to go over the homework assignment that Grant gave me last week. He told me to read a story from Bleacher Report that essentially blames Jimbo Fisher for Florida State's horrible 2018 season. So the question begs, were we all wrong about Willie Taggart last year kind of looking forward to talking about that story and finally on the heels of last week's iconic segment where we answered the age-old question what's more important in the peanut butter and jelly sandwich peanut butter or the jelly we've got another question to answer today the question being what's the better dessert cake or pie yet another topic that everybody is qualified to debate and will no doubt divide us all all right, let's do this. Grant, uh, 
Welcome back to the show. Let's talk more about your opening take. Where, uh, where do you want to start? All right, first of all, Lee, I just kind of want to get your general feelings about the whole thing. Is it something you care about? Do you think this is do you think this is something that is going to continue to be like kind of a talking point or a problem in college football? Do you see this being resolved at any point in time in the future? Do, do you think that we will go to college football free agency at some point in time like Dan Wolken argued in his column that you all can can go and read. It's uh, USA yeah. Today. Just Google it. What, what do you think? I mean, this is a situation that I probably should have strong feelings about, but I really don't. Uh, I, it's a very nuanced issue. Uh, I'm not so sure about the idea of college football free agency coming here um, or coming in, in, in the near future. I, for me, it's you know the idea that players should just be allowed to transfer and be immediately eligible whenever they want to do. That does seem a bit extreme. But on the other hand, it's pretty frustrating that the NCAA is pretty inconsistent with a lot of their rulings when it comes to transfers. And the NCAA is always, to me at least, it seems like it's just it's kind of a it's an organization that doesn't really know what they're doing. They don't really have any set rules a lot of the time. And like the, when they do have set rules, they're annoying rules. Uh, this situation, they're trying to somewhat tweak it, right, so that uh, it's not quite college football free agency because of all the a couple of the big name people that were granted waivers recently. Um, I don't know. I mean, the idea, put it this way, the idea of allowing all student athletes one free transfer in their careers is kind of intriguing to me. Did you say that what Jay Billis has that idea? Yeah, Jay Billis is Jay Billis has been kind of a crusade for this for for years. Really, he, he's also a big uh, pay the athletes proponent, which we've talked right. about on the show, which is which is not a serious argument. But uh, continue. Sorry. Was there anybody else that has that idea, or is that just a Jay Billis? idea of like hey every single student athlete gets one free transfer no i've no i've seen i've seen a lot of people say that Stuart mandel was saying that um he's probably the most prominent college football writer right now i've heard others yeah uh you know i i've heard others parrot kind of that talking point as well and you know i it's I, i i told you before we came on lee that i was in my opening take today i was getting ready just to body bag the the people who were to, who were who were bringing up just the, the one free transfer for everybody because instinctively it just it just seems incredibly incorrect to me but I was I kept reading pieces Stuart Mandel wrote one for the athletic the aforementioned Dan Wolken article as well uh, Nicole Auerbeck also had a really good rundown in the athletic as well where she kind of talked about or she, she made the uh, the really good point that hey this is really complicated and no matter what happens uh, there's gonna be good arguments on both sides that was refreshing to see. And so um, when Wolken started talking about how the NCAA is just a huge bureaucracy and pretty much everything they touch just turns into a contentious issue and becomes more difficult, um, the idea of just making things really simple is, is kind of attractive to me. But at the same time, there's externalities to everything, which is why I'm, I, I am instinctively uncomfortable with the college free agency, which is exactly what, what he's proposing. That's exactly what it would do. And so, um, but at the same time, ah, there's a little voice inside of my head that says, hey, college football free agency would be chaos and maybe it would be awesome. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, I I do think it would be 
kind of the same teams that would benefit from it over and over again. And Oklahoma is one of those teams that would benefit from it. Right. Um, and we, we can get into it further. I think um, I think there's some instance or I think there's some some things that you could do to um, to limit some of the externalities of that that we can get into. We've talked about it a lot. I think one of those is expanding the playoff, I think would help. And I can, I can go into, you know, more into that if, if you want me to my reasoning there, but I don't, I just think it's, I think it's interesting. So your theory is that it would uniformly benefit big programs like Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, all the blue bloods. And then at the same time, it would punish the lower programs because, these players that maybe weren't heavily recruited but turned out to be pretty darn good college football players at smaller programs are going to start getting recruited by these bigger schools to come transfer and then therefore the the lower teams are going to start losing all their good players and so it, it's going to like parity is going to be even worse in college football that's that's basically your theory that's my argument and i that's think that's your argument yeah yeah and, and i think cuz i think a lot of these blue buds uh, blue bloods alabama clemson and the like these guys are looking for any advantage any advantage yeah, to win course. football games and that's that's human nature that's i mean this is a competitive sport that's what's going to happen and so wolken even brought up you know in his column that you know if you were to do this of course there would have to be guidelines for like tampering and whatnot um that's not that's it's not that's not going to stop tampering so i it's um in my mind it's it's a cinch that that would happen that uh, teams would start recruiting guys on other teams probably not directly but but very indirectly and so that's why I wanted to bring up the UTEP example because um, I, I I think this would destroy the lower levels of college football. Like for instance, um, a month or so ago we were talking about Derek King at Houston. He could really help a, a blue blood right now. You th- you don't think Derek King would be uh, would be valuable to trying to think of a team off the top of my head that is potentially in contention. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean the classic a team that's a quarterback away. You know, maybe they're. Yeah, I, I get your point. Um, part of me, and also too, I mean, you mentioned that the simplification of the rules. You think it's kind of intriguing. That's kind of, uh, it's something that you're kind of open to because the simpler the better. Which a uniform, hey, everybody can transfer once with no penalty. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Because then there's not a whole lot of gray area there i mean i guess you could ask you know after you know after the one time then what happens if they want to transfer again then almost are you, are you back you just go back to the the current rules you know maybe uh that might be fair but to me i mean part of me though i wouldn't be opposed to like let's say a trial run of this policy perhaps change the rule to allow a free transfer for each student athlete for a period of something like three or four years then after that period of time, you can reassess the rule. And if, if it's led to college football free agency that has hurt the sport, then you just rethink it and rescind it and try again. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, wh- I, yeah, I'm going to think of some random things off the top of my head. I, you know, I, the reason I say three or four years for a trial period because that gives like the freshmen coming in the year you do it, that gives them almost you know four years of their – college to make that decision that they do want to transfer at some point uh, obviously you know the next year freshmen coming in wouldn't have as many years if you're just doing it under a trial period i uh, just throwing it out there i mean is does that sound like something that you'd be interested in seeing just to see how it would work because the only way we're going to find out how this goes is if you try it 
yeah, you know, I that's something I would I would be intrigued by. Also, that kind of gave him the idea. What if what if as a rule you get a free transfer within the first year that you're at the school, mm. or within or within two years, something like that. Yeah, you know, I think I think everything kind of needs to be on the table. But one of the things with uh, with this issue that I'm um, I'm I've sort of sensed that there, there's kind of a misnomer going around about why the transfer rules are even in place. And I think a lot of people think that it's in place to protect the, the, the athletic directors, the athletic departments, and just and anyone, anyone but the kids, I think, is kind of the narrative that goes around. And that's incorrect. The transfer rule is in place for competitive reasons. That's why it is there. It's, it's to prevent free agency. This is, this is the obvious point of the rule. And so I'm kind of, you know, I like I said, college football is already having a, a parody problem right now, and I, I don't want to do anything that could even possibly expand that because it's really, I mean, um, I, I was going back, Lee, and listening to, to some of our shows uh, just, just, the last couple, just the last couple days uh, from this past season, and it, and it just kind of reminded me... Um, the 2018 college football season was was not a great season. It, it was, uh, from a fan perspective, it was a very uninteresting season. Not nothing happened really at all, <laughs> and a lot of that had to do because there were two extremely good teams at the top, two great teams at the top, and everyone else was just kind of okay to bad, and that makes for really uninteresting college football. And I don't want to do anything that could expand that. Because it makes the sport worse. So you mentioned that the and, and I'm with you because you what was it episode 83 I think you sent me today that you really enjoyed your <laughs> opening take from from that episode. And I listened to it and I, I just listened to it today and I, yeah it was pretty good. It was pretty funny, especially when you got to the all the on field stuff going on. <laughs> so yeah, I, I it was bit, it was just a bad season altogether. So that, there was that, that was a good opening take for I, yeah was it episode 83? I think it was think? 85 maybe. I'm not sure. Either way, so I mean, I want to revisit something you brought up a second ago. You know, why is the transfer rule in place? And you mentioned it's it's for a competitive uh, to to keep competitive balance, or so there's not free agency. And I kind of want to talk about that too. It's like you know, uh, you know, I think it's important to ask why. Uh, you know, because like, what's the whole issue right now with these transfers? Is uh, is the idea of sitting out a season versus being immediately eligible? Right? Isn't that basically the argument we're having? Is Yep, because yep, if you because, transfer, the yeah, because you can you, still transfer. You can transfer all you want. You just got to sit out a year, right? Well, guys, we're having uh, some technical difficulties. My phone is being really annoying. So if there's any sort of weird breaks here in the last couple seconds, uh, that's the reason why uh, my phone was acting up. So I'm going to try to restart where I was and kind of the point I was at, talking about this whole transfer rule thing, and. What I wanted to get to is, you know, why is becoming immediately eligible so important to these student athletes? And I have a couple of reasons. So number one, the main reason to me, Grant, is that nobody wants to sit out an entire season of their sport. And it's even more frustrating, I'm sure, when you're sitting out because of a rule, not because you're injured or you got in trouble and you're serving some sort of suspension or something like that. So, I mean, that's the number one reason why people want to become immediately eligible, right? Because they don't want to sit out an entire season of their sport. Would you agree about, would you agree with me on that? Well, yeah, there's, I I think there's, there's probably like an, an athletic competitiveness element to it. 
Um, and also too, you could argue you're, you're using like the athlete though. I mean, they don't, you don't want to miss a year playing. Of course. Yeah. And I'm sure there's, you could also make the arguments that, you know, there's some, you're using, you're, you're losing maybe like an extra year of value or something like that, but you could probably also say, Hey, that's an extra year where you're not getting pounded also. Sure. Sure. And another part of sitting out a year after transferring is that you lose that year of eligibility. And that might not be that big of a deal for somebody who's going to play in the pros at some point, but for a kid who's likely playing sports in college at a really high level for the last time in their lives, you know, before they go on to have a career in in something else, like the NCAA likes to say, I'd say it's pretty crushing to lose a full year of athletic competition uh, by sitting out. So here's uh, something that I'd like to propose. And a lot of this stuff is just off the top of my head that I was just trying to brainstorm earlier. So how about when a player transfers to a new school, when they sit out a year, that year doesn't count against their eligibility? Because if you want to dissuade student athletes from transferring, which is, I assume, I mean, you mentioned it was a competitive thing. I think it's more, they don't, and somebody doesn't really want kids to transfer. I think they're trying, they'd like the kids to go to school and just kind of be at that school and graduate or whatever so i think the sitting out a, a year is kind of a, a reason for them to uh the NCAA to dissuade them from wanting to transfer i think that's that's part of the reason oh, sure. why yeah i mean it's, yeah. it's definitely a, a deterrent that that's why it exists yeah. so i mean i think missing a full year of competition is punishment enough for transferring and maybe punishment's not the right word but i think that's that's basically what it is. I mean, hey, you want to leave, you got to pay for it. You got to sit out a year and you can't play. So, I mean, I think there's no need to, on top of that, take away of their eligibility. Or, you know, what if the student athlete transferring had a choice? For example, like maybe you could transfer and become immediately eligible. But if you want to be immediately eligible, that will cost you something like two years of eligibility. So that year of playing plus another year to become immediately eligible, or you could have a choice. You could sit out a year like the current rule mandates, but you don't lose any years of eligibility. You just lose out on playing for a year. And it's like, oh man, I, I wasted the whole year playing that with my teammates, but at least you get the, you save that year and you can play, you know, two or three more years, however many you have. I just, that seems kind of complicated I, though, doesn't it? Or is that just me? I, I mean, yeah, it's cut I mean, and dry, I suppose, but. I just don't like the idea that you lose a year of eligibility when you transfer. Like, I think not playing is enough of, again, I'm using the word punishment, is is enough of like, hey, man, you decide to transfer. That's on you. And I know some people have circumstances where transferring is in their best interest. Maybe they're trying to get away for something bad and negative. I get that too. But I think a lot of the times people transfer is they don't feel like they're playing a lot or they want to, you know, they want a better opportunity to play. It's like, all right, well, if you want to do that, Sorry, you got to miss a whole year. But I just kind of hate that it knocks out a year of your eligibility too. And that brings me to the last thing I want to talk about in this that has annoyed me for a really long time. And have you heard about this? Or I'm sure you have, but are you familiar with this five-year clock rule? Yeah, yeah. And so for those of you who don't know what that is, it's in Division I sports, and they have different rules for Division I, Division II, and I think Division III, and so on and so forth. But for D1, for the purposes of this podcast, we talk about OU – you have five calendar years to play four seasons of competition. 
And the clock starts when you enroll as a full-time student at any college. So if you're a freshman going in, you enroll as a full-time student, that's when your clock starts. You have five years to play four years of a, whatever sport. And I just, I think this rule is so dumb. I hate this rule because I think the only way that you're playing eligibility should go away is if you actually play in a sport. And for my, you know, this is my own example, but I'm sure this would be lots of people. You know, I played junior college baseball for a couple of seasons and I transferred to Oklahoma and I tried to walk on there, but I didn't really have a chance uh, to play. Uh, so I, didn't make the team and it was just kind of like a, you know, they had a, a random walk on practice that I, Joe Maurer wouldn't have made the team. I mean, you would, they gave you like eight swings. All right. Let's I mean, not, you, let's not get, let's not go overboard here. I know. I'm just saying like, you would have had to hit like, like five or six home runs out of six swings just to get somebody uh, to notice you anyways. Uh, so I didn't make the team. And so from there on, I just was a full-time student at Oklahoma until I graduated and I didn't play any sports anymore in college. So I just played those two years and that was it. And I think right now, as a 31-year-old person, I should have at least two more years of NCAA eligibility left. I mean, I haven't played competitive baseball in almost 10 years. I'm sure I'm not good anymore, and I definitely couldn't compete at the college level. But I think I still should have those two years if, if I, for some reason, wanted to go back to school. I mean, there was a time after I left Oklahoma, and I bet there's a lot of people out there that are kind of similar to this as well. Like for a year or two, when I was trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life, that I kind of thought about going back to school. And a lot of people think about going back to school, whether it be to grad school or go do something else. You know, I was 22, 23, 24, somewhere in there. So in pretty good shape playing baseball in the summer times. Uh, but for this particular example, I, you know, I, I was thinking that, Hey, you know what? I played baseball a little bit in college. I really like football a lot too. It'd be really fun to play college football. There's a lot of division two schools in Minnesota. That's where I was living. That's where you were living. Knew a lot of people playing Division II football at the time. You know, what if I could have reached out to some of the guys I knew, some of the coaches I knew, you know, asked if there were any scholarship opportunities for me. You know, I mean, I know I was older, but hey, you know, maybe they had some openings, you know, why not? Or more realistically, for my specific situation, you know, maybe reached out to some baseball coaches, you know, around Minnesota that, you know, to, to play baseball. Because I had D2 offers, but I turned them down because I wanted to try to play at Oklahoma. You know, and so, you know, one to two years out of college, I think I could have easily played D2 baseball still and been one of the one of the better players on the team. I, I guarantee I could have been. I mean, no, no problem. So my point about this is that I I don't like that the NCAA limits the amount of time that you can play college sports. I think no matter how old you are, if you choose to go to college somewhere and you haven't played four years of NCAA or college sports, I think you should be able to play college sports for that school. Of course, if that team wants you to play for then. I just don't understand why there's some arbitrary clock. So that's what that's one of my big rants today. I don't like how you're limited right when you start college. Sorry, you got to figure out all your sports stuff in those five years or else you're out of luck. So I don't have a super strong opinion on that. I'm I'm assuming there's probably a good reason why they have the clock is all I'm I mean they probably just want college athletes to be young people in college. I mean, they don't want some like random. Oh, I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's more to it than that. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure if you did that, it'd be easily be? manipulated. I don't know. I mean, there's, I, I bet there's a, a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, I mean, played high school sports like you and I that were pretty good, but decided that they wanted to play or not play in college, focus on school. Then maybe they wanted to go to grad school afterwards. And, 
you know, who knows? Like, what what if they could have made a college baseball team at 23 years old? Well, I still I still have eligibility. I never played a college sport. Yeah, but you went to college though. I don't think that's I don't think that's how it works, is it? Yeah, that's how it works. Really? Once you start college, that's when your clock starts for sports too. Oh, okay. Well, I that's don't know. I mean, I that's don't... why I think the rule is is dumb. It's a I... dumb rule because even if you go and you're not playing sports, your clock has started. Getting a little off the rails here, but uh... <laughs> all right. Well, I just wanted to get that part out because talking about transferring and things like that, I just think that's a ridiculously stupid NCAA rule, and it and it limits some people's ability to maybe play sports, you know, later in life that, you know, maybe they didn't want to play early, but you know, they've realized, Hey, you know, I, I still could play and I want to, but sorry, your time is up. You can't anymore. Like, I'm sure okay. a lot of it might have to do with, they also don't want some like 30 year old dude coming in and taking a spot of an 18 year old kid, which sure. I mean, you can, I, I bet that's part of it, but I don't know. I just, just to put a bow on this, on this whole discussion, I think, um, I want to give my final thoughts on it. I, I think, um, in terms of allowing, you know, people to or, or players to to transfer or ha- having one free transfer with no externalities or something like that, I think the best arguments for that are are these two arguments. One, uh, the the NCAA is just a really complicated bureaucracy, and we should do everything that we can uh, to make simple rules for a complex problem. I think that's a really good argument. And then also, the second best argument I think is are people who who just say embrace the chaos. It would be chaotic and awesome. That that's an argument that I accept. I don't know if I agree with it, but I think that's a valid argument. So, I don't know. I I'm I'm all for anything that that makes college football more entertaining and if that made it more entertaining then I'm all for it. Uh, but there's lots of things that I think could make college football more entertaining, so take that with a grain of salt. All right. Well, I think we spent more time than I thought we would on that. So, let's get to our next, uh, really our big topic of the day, and that's our preseason All-Big 12 offensive teams. I think they will provide some pretty interesting back and forth. So here's the idea. Obviously, Grant, your uh, your picks will not be officially tallied by the Big 12 since you're not officially a Big 12 media member going to media days. But Garbage. Just, Total garbage. Just for fun. I know. But for fun, uh, you did this. Mine, however, will. So I just need to make sure I email this by tomorrow. So my picks will go in, but uh, – so we're going to go over the offense today. We're going to go over the defense next week and then the uh, our preseason poll the week after that. And so I guess I, let's start from the top. I don't really have any any fun ways to do this. So well, first, do you want to do you want to explain your methodology first because this is going to factor in oh. heavily to like my you know to my rationale for a lot of things. Sure. So whenever I fill out a preseason All Big Twelve Conference team. The way I do this, and I think this is the only logical way to do this, is just is how you think it's going to look at the end of the year. That's at least that's what I do with my my poll, you know, my Big Twelve poll. I mean, I I rank the teams the way I think they're going to finish. So, uh, and we'll get to that later. So I think okay. So the, if I do the poll that way, I think it makes sense for me to do my preseason teams that way as well. So I the fact that you asked me to explain that makes me think that you put down players using a different methodology. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm essentially filling this out for, I think these guys are the front runners at the beginning of the season because I'm not really, and I kind of came to this conclusion because I'm just, I don't feel like I'm in the position right now to make predictions on a lot of unknowns because, you know, um, 
Well, that's why we pay you the big bucks on this podcast to make predictions. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be able to, you know, comfortably do that probably after a week or two of the season. But um, there's, there's some unknowns coming into this season that are not, that are not typical for the start of a season. So, and I'll, I'll explain it more once, once we start going over the players. All right. So, I think the best way to do this is just kind of go back and forth, back and forth, because we're inevitably going to have some of the same guys. Uh, certain players in different orders, things like that. So if I say a guy's name, let's say that we're on like running backs, and I say a running back, and there, but for, first of all, there's two running back spot, uh, slots. So if I say like a running back, and then you have that running back on your team, then you know you say, hey, I'll have him too, and then we'll kind of talk about that guy. So that way we're not kind of doubling up, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, so I'll start it with quarterback. Easy place to start, top of the list. My preseason All-Big 12 quarterback is going to be Jalen Hurts, and here's my reasoning why. said it a lot on this podcast before, but I'll just kind of go over it bullet points again right here. Obviously, veteran player. He joins an Oklahoma offense led by Lincoln Riley's expert football mind, specifically offensive football mind. He's got an embarrassment of riches around him with Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, C.D. Lamb, Grant Calcaterra, plus all those talented incoming pass catchers, and then a couple unproven H-backs that have talent as well. You got Big 12 defenses, not going to be as rigorous as the SEC defenses he once saw. And his offensive teammates, just as good, if not better than what he had at Alabama. Plus, the offense is going to be better schemed than it was at Alabama when he was there. However, I do have some concerns. Fair to point those out as well. Obviously, he's not as accurate as a thrower as the last two quarterbacks played Oklahoma. Few quarterbacks are as accurate as Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Obviously, less than a full year in the program. I'm pretty concerned about that. Uh, He's not going to be as comfortable in the system as Mayfield and Murray were. And then also, he's breaking in an almost entirely new offensive line at Oklahoma. Only Creed Humphrey returns. So those are my concerns about Jalen Hurts. But because of uh, basically Lincoln Riley and the success he's had, with quarterbacks, I'm going to put him as my all-Big 12 quarterback in the preseason. Grant, your quarterback. I took Ellinger, and um, I will explain it like this. We have two full seasons of Jalen Hurts at Alabama, and Sam Ellinger had a better season last year than Jalen Hurts had in his first two years at Alabama. That That's my rationale. I don't know what we're going to get from Jalen Hurts yet. I think, you know, I... If you put a gun to my head, do I think Jalen Hurts is probably going to be the first team quarterback and likely the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year? Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, but where we are right now, you know, that's that's a lot of assumptions that I'm making right now. And man, Sam Ellinger is is really underrated amongst this fan base. The guy had 42 touchdowns and only turned the ball over six times last year, and was Texas's entire run game. Like he is, he is Texas's entire team. He does everything almost by himself. So I mean, he's he's. I think that it's true that members of this fan base, me included, probably underrate Ellinger a little bit. But I think that you also overrate him. So I think there's a, I think there's a happy medium there that none of us are really getting to at this point. Yeah, maybe. And he's just I, not a particularly good throw over the football. He just isn't. And he he's he's so mechanical with a lot of his things, uh, his, his his delivery. And uh, it just uh, – I don't know. I He was really good against Georgia. Congrats. But, uh, man, I 
he was really bad against Kansas. Really bad against Kansas. And Kansas is so bad. Uh, just one example. I know people have bad games, but man, I, I just, I don't understand. I mean, they, they could have lost that game to Kansas. So again, that's more of a Texas thing, I think, more than is a Sam Ellinger thing too. I, I definitely bias more against Texas because of... Uh, this is a coin flip. This is a coin flip. Like I, I, but yeah, I know. Like he certainly could be the. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I bet Sam Ellinger will probably be who the media picks as the preseason All Big Twelve quarterback. I think that's who they're going to go with. I would, I would bet. Yeah, I and I think I think it's completely defensible. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is a better athlete. I think Jalen Hurts has a higher ceiling than Sam Ellinger. But I just I I haven't, you know. Sam Ellinger's sophomore year is better than anything I've seen from Jalen Hurts. Not not like by a ton or anything like that. And and this is this is not to bag on Jalen Hurts. The guy was the SEC player of the year as a freshman at Alabama. So um I think the chances that he steps into Oklahoma and is the Big Twelve offensive player of the year are pretty good. Um, but you know, th- this is like a this is like a fifty one forty nine thing. I don't I don't think it's like head and shoulders, Sam Ellinger. Um in a in in the cotton bowl. I damn sure I'm taking Jalen Hurts, but uh, right now I, I just trying to be objective and I'm trying not to be a hack. And I, I think this is the correct pick. All right. So a couple of running backs now up next, and then there's a fullback spot. And I think you might have uh, some tweaks to that, but we'll go with running backs. And since I went first with the quarterbacks, I'll let you go first with running backs. So who's your, I mean, for me, this isn't really in any particular order, but uh, which running back did you list at the top? And so, okay, first of all, I do want to qualify this. I did not include Puka Williams, but I, I do think, uh, just because he, he's in limbo right now, we don't know if he's going to be on the team or not. Um, I did the exact same thing. I, okay, I, I do think Puka Williams should be on the first team if, if, if he was not in limbo. If we knew he was definitely playing, Puka Williams would be here. Um, having that been said, Lee, my first running back is Kennedy Brooks. And I, I said, I, I said, uh, last week in the episode that I think Kennedy Brooks might be the best running back in the big 12. And I, I stand by that even over Puka Williams. All right. My first running back is also Kennedy Brooks and just some numbers and reason to back it up. I mean, did you know that he led the big 12 in yards per carry last year? Yeah. He'd like 10, 10 yards per carry. He that wasn't that high. Pretty sure he led the country high, but... in yards per carry. 8.9 yards per carry. You, know, you watch the guy play. He's just got high-level vision and instincts. He's a smooth runner. Uh, he has the ability also to shake a tackler when needed. Look at that orange bowl when he was able to break a tackle, get a big first down. Also, I think he gained the most yards or he was in the top five in the conference or maybe even in the, in the entire country at some point or maybe the year. I know this, I'm qualifying a lot of stuff in yards after first contact, surprisingly. And Trey Sermon was pretty high up there as well. Uh, yeah, Brooks and Sermon were 1-2 in the Big 12 in yards after contact. I saw that on Pro Football Focus also. A couple of concerns with Kennedy Brooks. He's not going to catch anybody by surprise this year. So everyone will, will go into each game knowing that he's pretty darn good. And same concern with Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma's offensive line. It's going to take time to gel. It's going to be, for the most part, brand new with the exception of Creed Humphrey. So that's going to be a... A big concern because a big reason why Kennedy Brooks was so good last year is because Oklahoma's offensive line was the best in the country. So Kennedy Brooks, I, I'm with you. He is my uh, one of my two running backs as well. I'll go next. My second running back 
I have is Oklahoma State's Chuba Hubbard. And I think Hubbard might be the most talented running back in the Big 12 because he's got an impressive mix of size and speed. He's 6'1", 207. I believe Brooks is something like 5'10", 5'11", so a little shorter, not as big as Chuba, but about the same, close to the same weight. The guy is just, he's a track star. I mean, he was a track star in high school. He's got just a great, impressive mix of size and speed. I think I just said that. Uh, I think he's faster than Justice Hill, who Hubbard is replacing this year. And Hubbard averaged six yards a carry last year, plus he can catch the ball out of the backfield, which is something that Kennedy Brooks did a little bit last season. Not as much as you think. Uh, Hubbard had more catches. Uh, my concern, my one concern with Hubbard is fumbles. He had four fumbles last year. He lost two of them. One of them was huge in that Bedlam game. We all remember that. So hold on to the football is a concern for Chuba Hubbard. And I suppose you can throw in, I'm not so sure how good the offensive line is going to be for Oklahoma State. I haven't done a deep dive in the Cowboys yet. I know I cover them technically here in Oklahoma City, but I haven't been following them as close to this offseason as I have Oklahoma, obviously. So I'm not sure about the offensive line in Stillwater, but uh, Chuba Hubbard, though, is my second running back. Who is your second running back? I have Chuba as well. And talk about a guy who just, as soon as he kind of came onto the scene last year, uh, was so clearly better than Justice Hill, kind of in every respect. Um, a guy I think physically is is certainly more impressive than Kennedy Brooks. I am, you know, the reason why I kind of put Brooks up there first was because Brooks was just a lot more productive than Hubbard was. And that's not to say that Chuba wasn't, you know, productive at all. But, um, the, yeah, just, just the level of production that Kennedy Brooks had it was is kind of unmatched by, by pretty much everyone in the country. So... Um, but yeah, I, I can't really add in, add anything to what you said about Chuba Hubbard. The, the guy's going to have a really good season. Oklahoma state's going to have a really potent offense this season. And Chuba's, you know, along with Tylen Wallace is going to be the, the focal point of the offense. So that's it for running backs. The next is a fullback slot, but Grant, do you have a, uh, an audible that you're calling? Yeah, I can't, I'm not, um, I think OU is like the only team that really still uses like an H back fullback and they're not the only one other teams do. Um, but, but let's be real. If, if this position actually is going to be on the, the postseason ballot or whatever, you're right. It, it's going to be Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis in all likelihood. Um, so I just punted and I just added another running back spot and I put Trey Sermon there because I think he's, um, I, I think he deserves to be there. He's, uh, he, he, he's got the most career rushing yards in the big 12 and he's really good. So, all right. So you, I didn't say it yet, but you basically said it. So for my fullback, I put Braden Willis. And to me, it's it's either Willis or Jeremiah Hall. And I think Willis is more talented. Therefore, I'm going to take a flyer on Willis here. But you're going to go with Trey Sermon. So you're going to go with third running back. And you know what? You might be more in the right, at least when it comes to the preseason poll, because last season at the Big 12 Media Days, all the media members did the same thing you did. They added a, a third running back position instead of uh, instead of a fullback. And they did that last year, I remember, because I had I picked a fullback, and I, I think I, I might have picked Carson Meyer as my preseason fullback because I knew Carson Meyer was going to be Oklahoma's fullback. Uh, I can't remember. I have to go back and look. Maybe I picked a different fullback, you know, maybe somebody else. But I know been, I did It would have been a smart pick because Carson Meyer was freaking awesome so, last year. Right. I Yeah, I, maybe I picked. But I didn't do the whole three running back thing. I said, you know what? It says fullback. I'm putting a fullback. But most of the media put a third running back, and they did that so they could include Justice Hill. 
because Rodney Anderson and David Montgomery were the top two running backs last year, which is who I put as well. And they were the two best going in. Obviously, Rodney got hurt. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I thought Justice Hill was really good, but there's only two running back spots. He's, he's not going to be in my top two. So you're kind of doing the same thing. Uh, for me, I mean, Trey Sermon obviously is it was is like the third running back that I'd put in there. I mean, he's, he's awesome. I mean, he in many ways, he deserves to be there instead of Kennedy Brooks based on his credentials and his resume. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you sermon there, but I did go with Braden Willis at fullback. Uh, you went with a third running back in Trey sermon. Okay. Fair can enough. I, yeah. And just, can I just say one more thing about Trey sermon? The most underrated part of his game. He is a wonderful pass blocker. And yeah. I, and I, I think he's a really know, good player. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a really good all around really, player. Really player. He's going to play on Sundays. He, he's, he's not going to be like a, he's not going to be like a stud in the NFL or something. But he's going to be a guy who makes a roster for sure, just because he does he does all the little things really well. And he, the first guy, really never never takes him down at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his downfall in the NFL will be similar to Samaj Piran's downfall. He's not very fast. I mean, he's just he's just not a very fast guy. Yep, you're right. And that, and, and, and that that will hurt Trey Sermon in the pros. But uh, we'll see what happens. He's a he's a fantastic football player. And you're right. I mean, all the way around too. I mean, he does everything. And that's what Lincoln Riley stresses too. I mean, you got to be able to do it all. Running back, H-back, wide receiver. I mean, you got to be able to block, and they do. Next up, we have three wide receivers to go through, and I wouldn't be surprised if we all picked the same guys or at least two out of the three. Let's see. I think I was the last person to, to, to say somebody. So, Grant, you go ahead with your top wide receiver, your first wide receiver. CD. Yeah. Not Yeah, not breaking any news there or surprising anybody. It's, it's CD. Yeah, me too. And there's any really reason to to go over the reasons why he's just he's going to his third year as a starter. He's a stud. I mean, he's going to be a first round pick. He's might be the best wide receiver in the country. He's fun to watch, man. I love. He's he's probably my favorite receiver at OU since uh, since Ryan Broyles. And if I, I don't know if I've if I've waxed nostalgic enough about Ryan Broyles on this what about podcast. Marcus Brown. I, yeah, I love Hollywood. Love Hollywood. Mar, uh, Ryan Broyles by far my favorite OU receiver of all time. That guy was so good. So good. Can you imagine Ryan Broyles with Baker Mayfield? Like, that that would not have been fair. It's too bad he always got hurt. He just could not stay healthy. The guy just kept tearing. Was it always his ACL? Or He only tore his ACL once, but yeah, he was he was banged up pretty much every well, he, season. He, he tore, I think he tore it again in the NFL, I want to say. Oh, he well, yeah, I wasn't. Too, yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. All right, so I have C.D. Lamb as well. I'll go with my second wide receiver, and that's Tylen Wallace, Oklahoma State. And no reason to explain that. I mean, the guy, the guy's really good. I think he's already on pace. To, I mean, I think statistically he had a better year last year, or he's either on pace to break all of James Washington's records. And James Washington is statistically the best wide receiver in Oklahoma State history now. So uh, Tylen Wallace is a really good player. And uh, he's my second wide receiver on the preseason team. What about you? Tylen Wallace, he is a smoother version of Sterling Shepard. He's really good. He is a uh, he is the he is the number one guy that you need to stop on Oklahoma State's offense um, because the offense is going to go through him this season. They're going to try to get him the ball as much as humanly possible. All right. So the next wide receiver could be interesting because uh, you're texting me about it a little bit, and this could, this is really probably come down to the way that you and I fill out these teams. So did you go out here? Yeah, you go ahead and go with yours. And I think it's your turn. Okay. So I went with this. This is where you and I, this is when I asked you, you know, how are we picking this team? 
Uh, are we going by who I think is a better player, who I think is going to have a better season? Uh, so I, I ended up going with Jalen Rager here, just because I think I think he is. I think Lamb, Wallace, and Rager is is an amazing threesome in a conference for wide receivers. It's just really talented players. Um, having that been said, Jalen Rager might have Alex Delton throwing him the ball this season. Um, so I think yeah. I, I, I think there's there's like a decent chance that Rager does not put up great numbers this year. And so that's why I was I was kind of trying to decide between Rager and Colin Johnson. I think Colin Johnson's probably going to have better numbers this year just by virtue of having Sam Ellinger throwing him the ball. But Jalen Rager's a better player. And I don't think that's really debatable in any sense at all. That's totally fair. And you just explain my thought process as well. It's just flipped on who we have. So, again, I base it off of who I think is going to be there at the end of the year. And so I think Colin Johnson has the experience. He has a, a, a good quarterback delivering him the football with LJ Humphrey gone. It's going to be Colin Johnson and a little bit of, uh, is it Devin? Devin Duvernay? Yeah, Devin Duvernay and probably yeah. their, I think that true freshman, Whittington, Jordan Whittington, will probably be their number three okay. receiver. So, I mean, but Johnson will be the, the guy that Ellinger goes to. I mean, he's going to throw him jump balls. I mean, that's what Ellinger likes to do. So I think he's got a better chance of putting up numbers than Jalen Rager, who, again, as you mentioned, will probably have Alex Delton throwing him the football. So based off of that, I'm going to go Colin Johnson. But yeah, I agree with you. I think Jalen Rager's a better player than Colin Johnson as well. Uh, but, again, based on the way I think it's going to end up at the end of the year, I think Johnson's got a better chance of putting up the numbers than Rager. The question would be, though, at the end of the year, even if that's the case, will the media or the coaches still you know, vote Rager over Johnson if Rager's numbers aren't that great? Uh, because they just know that they, they think Rager's a better player. So, yeah, we'll see. So I have uh, – so Lamb, Wallace, Johnson. You go Lamb, Wallace, and Rager. Next up, tight end, and not a whole lot of discussion here. I think by default, it's kind of just Grant Calcaterra. I mean, he was the first team All-Big 12 tight end last year, and, I mean, this is his third year in the program at Oklahoma. He's, I think, the default All-Big 12 preseason tight end. What do you say, Grant? Yeah, I think he's in for a really big year. Um, he had a, he kind of had a little bit of the dropsies at times last year. If he can kind of iron that out, yeah, I, I think he's in for for a really really big year as as Jalen Hurts kind of kind of security blanket. Even I mean, CD is going to be a security blanket, but um, yeah, Calcaterra is going to have a really solid year. Iowa State's Charlie Kolar, I think, is another candidate for this. He had 11 catches, three touchdowns last year. Not not great numbers, but uh, obviously he's got a really good quarterback and Brock Purdy throwing him the ball. And Iowa State's going to need somebody to step up with Hakeem Butler gone. And Kolar's got a little bit of experience, so who knows? Maybe he was – I think he was on maybe the all honorable mention or maybe the all, second team all Big 12 last year. So he's another guy that could – you know, step up if Calcaterra kind of struggles or isn't doesn't have that big of a year and Kolar has a, has a bigger year. Just a name to kind of keep in mind. So now we get to the offensive line. This is probably, I mean, this is the toughest one to to figure out because, I mean, you don't can't go look at numbers and stats and, you know, they don't stand out as much. And most of Oklahoma's offensive linemen are gone. You can't just pencil in, you know, oh, yeah, I think Bobby Evans is going to be there like last year. You know, he's really good or even like Drew Samir, Ben Powers, you know, things like that. So this is, this is more difficult. I do a little more research on this one, Grant. So offensive line, I'll let you begin. There is one, two, three, four, five offensive linemen that we have to select. I'll let you begin. Are we getting, are we going left to right or what are we doing? Did you, did you, did you, 
pick like specific or uh, position? No, specific? no, I no, I just picked. It doesn't I mean I I might have five tackles in here. Okay, for all I know. Yeah, I mean, well, I, it yeah, I didn't. I just based it off of. How good you are. Sure, yeah. I, I went, uh, that's what I was doing too, but it actually just kind of, it just turned out like neatly, not not necessarily right to left or left to right, but I do have two tackles, two guards, and a center. It just it just happened to work out that way. Uh, so the first guy I have on here, no particular order, is Lucas Niang at TCU. Um, a lot of this is, is honestly just based on, one, me remembering who you were from last year, me noticing you at any point in time, and two, what does what does Pro Football Focus think about you? And three, where did you finish on on these lists last season? And uh, Lucas Niang was a was a first team All Big Twelve guy last year, and he is a he's a senior and he's back. So by default, he is here. All right, I have Niang as well on my list, and not to not to correct you, but he was a a second team All Big Twelve guy last year. Thank you. Sorry. At, at the end of the year, uh, but yeah, he's a he's a veteran guy. He's entering his third year as a starter. According to Pro Football Focus, he didn't allow a sack all last season. So it's it's no surprise that he's got the best pass blocking grade of any returning offensive tackles in the Big 12. So I also have Niang on my list as one of the five offensive linemen. I'll go next with a player that I'm sure is also on your list, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. He was an honorable mention all Big 12 player last year, just like Niang. Creed did not allow a sack at all last year. And he wasn't just one of the best centers in the Big 12. He was one of the best centers in college football in 2018. So Creed is my uh, is on my list as well. Yeah. Yeah, Creed's there too. Um this is this is a thing. I I'm I don't Lee, I don't think Creed Humphrey is gonna be uh, on the uh, on this list when the media uh when it's when it's unveiled in, in the media. I think it's gonna be Zach Shackelford of Texas in all likelihood, and that's wrong. Creed Humphrey is the best center in the country, bar none. The guy he's he is physically dominant. I don't know enough about the rest of the country to to say that with confidence yet, but I'm confident to say that he's a top ten center in the country. I'm pretty confident. All right. So you go ahead next. Uh, next, Lee, I have Samuel Cosme of Texas. Uh, he was Texas's best offensive lineman last year. I think in the second half of the season, he went. Uh, he had like a dominant four game stretch. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I should have prepared better for that. Uh, he had a dominant sort of second half of the season last year where he came on, and he's a young guy. Uh, he's going to be the cornerstone of Texas's offensive line for the next year or two. I also have Cosme on my list. He was an uh, honorable mention All-Big 12 guy a season ago. He had the second-highest PFF grade out of tackles returning in the Big 12. So really good season in 2018. Only two players had higher pass-blocking grades. Uh, than him last year that are that are returning this season just to qualify it. So I have returning players. So I also have Cosme as well. So we've each have okay. We've gone through three players each, and they're uh, they're all we're, we're the same. So that's interesting. All right. So I'll go next with my uh, fourth guy, Jack Anderson, Texas Tech. He's a guard, and he's been a full time starter since his freshman year in 2017. Allowed just one sack in 2018. And according to PFF, he was the best run blocking guard in the Big 12 last year, which I found that shocking that somebody was better than Ben Powers at guard run blocking. So Jack Anderson is my uh, is my fourth guy. He was an all Big 12 second teamer a season ago. And uh, Anderson out of Texas Tech. How about you? I also have Jack Anderson and 
As soon as I saw highest graded run blocker in the Big 12, he immediately made my list. Okay. Well, I mean, that's right, well, like, yeah, of course. Like, why not? You know what? I, I've said numerous times on this podcast, I'm not some sort of expert when it comes to the offensive line. I can recognize. Uh, I'm not either. I mean, that's why PFF is so valuable. Yeah, I can recognize. I can recognize dominance, which is why I feel like I can so you know strongly speak on Creed Humphrey's behalf. Uh, but other than that, I, I'm gonna. I'll, a lot of the time until until you know I I actually sit down and kind of learn the intricacies of playing the offensive line. Uh, I'll let the guys who are paid to to have opinions on this matter, you know, sort of guide my thinking. And I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's probably what a lot of people do around this time of the year. All right, your fifth offensive lineman. Let's end the uh, the line. Who do you got? Colton McKivitz of West Virginia. I also have Colton McKivitz Jeez. from West Virginia. How about so we that? have the exact same five. Wow, that's sounds like you're probably reading the same exact stuff or looking at the, the same exact info, maybe, or just both incredibly smart. It's research. I guarantee. I, I bet that's the. I, I bet that's four out of the five in the in the media too. I, but I bet Zach Shackelford is is in over Creed Humphrey. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, probably because he's he's been there. He, I mean, Shackelford was pretty highly graded as well. I think he's uh, like the yeah he was like he was the fourth highest graded center in the Big Twelve last year. I think it was. I mean, yeah, I don't think he was graded higher than Creed though. But just some background on McKivitz, just to back it up. I mean, he was an honorable mention guy last year. I mean, he's been around forever. It's going to be his fourth year as a starter. Uh, he's going to be replacing Yadni Kajust at left tackle. He's been a right tackle in the past. So he's going to move on over to the left side. And uh, a big stat that PFF put out about him is that he's only allowed eight sacks since 2016. So, I mean, do the math there. I mean, that's very few sacks. Uh, only Lucas Niang had a better pass blocking grade last year than, uh, than McKibbins. So, good player. Good player. Got two more slots on the... Preseason All Big 12 offensive team and the two special team spots. This could be interesting. I don't know. I mean, let's get to the place kicker, Grant. And I mean, this is one of those things. It's kind of an easy one to go with Austin Seibert last year. He's gone now. So at place kicker, I'll go first. My place kicker is uh, we just did a West Virginia guy, McKivitz. My kicker is also from West Virginia, Evan Staley. Same. Gonna be- Same. <laughs> Well, he was he was like nine of eleven from between forty and fifty yards last year. That's really good. Yeah, that's why. I mean, I was looking at the stats, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see like Dicker from Texas here, just because he he's still people still remember that game winning kick against OU. But screw that guy, man. But what a shocker! The rest of his season wasn't all that great. I think he was like eighteen of like twenty five kicking field goals and but of course he you know was perfect against no, OU. Texas does not miss field goals against Oklahoma. We we right. we, we talked about this extensively yeah. in our podcast last year after the game. <laughs> no, seriously, um, they have not we we could not find the last time they've mi- they've missed a kick against OU. Remember. We we looked this up and it, I, I already it, we, forgot we couldn't what it find was. it. We we couldn't find one. We'll have to go back and do it again just to because at some point it happened. But uh, it, it hasn't been maybe they've, since we were They've alive. missed extra points, but I don't – I honestly, since 2000, I don't think they've missed a field goal against OU. All right, we'll have to – we need to look that up and then remember it, write it down so we don't forget it. But just a couple of numbers to back up Staley as our uh, all-Big 12 preseason kicker. He was 16-20 last year. He was perfect from 39 yards and in. And you mentioned the 9 of 11 stat. That was from 40 to 49. He did miss two field goals, 50 plus. He was 0 of 2 from 50 plus. So 
that's the only knock. He didn't kick a, a 50 plus yard field goal. So uh, his range, I mean, they didn't really obviously didn't trot him out there very much when it was 50 plus, but uh, he seems like he's pretty good. I mean, nine of 11 from 40 to 49. That's solid. That's pretty salty. Good for him. And lastly, I'll let you go with uh, the kick returner slash punt returner. I'm going to be totally honest with you, Lee. I totally bungled this one. It was the guy I, so I was, I was writing all of these down on a totally different thing and then everything deleted and I didn't get it transferred over. But I, I took the guy whose, whose name is really hard to pronounce from Iowa state. Okay. Uh, Nwongwu or something. Yeah. Uh, let's see. No, is that TCU? Iowa state or TCU? It's Iowa state. Nay Nwongwu. That's the one. Iowa state. All right, well, I went with Trey Brown from OU because according to Pro Football Focus, he was the highest graded kick returner in all the Big 12 last year. So I was like, oh, that's easy. I'll go with him. It's fair <laughs> enough. The only, the only thing, though, is that I kind of I kind of prefer maybe if he wasn't returning stuff this year because I just kind of want him to focus on playing corner. Just focus on playing good defense. I, don't, I really wouldn't mind if he wasn't back there a whole lot. Find somebody else to do that. I mean, unless he is just awesome. He's like returning kicks left and right for touchdowns, which he almost had that one a season ago against UCLA. All right. Wow. Our teams were almost exactly the same. That's, I guess it should be that surprising. Maybe the defensive side of the ball will bring a, a lot more of a debate. So that was, that was interesting. How about this? Let's uh, just to put a, put a, uh, an ending to this, to, let's go over our teams. Do you have your team in front of you real quick that you can go over real fast? Yeah. All right, go down the list. Who's your team? Quarterback, Sam Ellinger. Running back, Kennedy Brooks. Or running backs, Kennedy Brooks, Chuba Hubbard, and Trey Sermon. The receivers are C.D. Lamb, Tylen Wallace, Jalen Rager. The tight end is Grant Calcaterra. The offensive linemen are Lucas Niang of TCU, Jack Anderson of Texas Tech, Creed Humphrey, Colton McKivitz of West Virginia, and Samuel Cosme of Texas. Our teams are essentially identical. And kicker and kick returner. Uh, kicker was the dude from West Virginia whose name I've already forgotten and the kicker turner. Yep. And, ki- and the kicker turner was a dude from Iowa state whose name I can't, <laughs> can't pronounce. Nene Nwagu. Nene Nwagu. Ken- oh, Kene. Kene Nwangu. I didn't even pronounce it right. Uh, my team quarterback, Jalen Hurts, running back, Kennedy Brooks, running back, Chuba Hubbard. Fullback, Braden Willis, wide receivers, CD Lamb, Tylen Wallace, Colin Johnson, tight end, Grant Calcaterra. Five offensive linemen, Creed Humphrey from OU, Samuel Cosme, Texas, Lucas Niang, TCU, Jack Anderson, Texas Tech, Colton McKivitz from West Virginia. My kicker is Evan Staley from West Virginia and kick returner slash punt returner, OU's Trey Brown. And I just realized there's one more spot we haven't done. Offensive player of the year. I think we are. I think. People can gather who who we're picking based <laughs> off of. You're picking, I'm going to guess, Sam Ellinger. Yeah. And I'm picking Jalen Hurts because just whoever's the quarterback is going to probably win that award. It's 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 going to be it's going to be Hurts or Ellinger is going to be the offensive player of the year. I don't think I don't think that's controversial at all. So next week we'll go over the defense and then, well, I guess for purposes of this podcast because it's a. It's a repeat. Uh, there's an offensive player of the year, a defensive player of the year, and a newcomer of the year we're supposed to put down. Last year, by the way, it was freshman of the year, and everybody put Buki, and that didn't work out. So it looks like they've changed it to newcomer of the year for 2019. And just since my newcomer of the year is an offensive player, I'm 
newcomer of the year for me is Jalen Hurts because if Jalen Hurts is a fantastic year, same. Oh, you have you have him too. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so even if he doesn't win Offensive Player of the Year, quarterback, um, you still think he'll be the newcomer of the year. That's Correct. fair. So basically, we'll save all the defensive stuff for next week. That should be interesting. All right. So hold on a second, Lee. I got I got right, go I got to step in here. We're gonna have to have an on-air production meeting. So we have we we did have some uh, some technical difficulties, and this this show is a lot a lot more packed than I, I know, than I think I we thought it was gonna be. I have a date tonight. We got to get moving on this. It's with mm, my okay. wife. My wife wanted me to specify that my date is with my wife. <laughs> All right. Well, that means that we're gonna go ahead and we're not gonna do the Bleacher Report story from Florida State. We can save that though. Do... We can save that. That's yeah. Uh, we can save. We can save that for later. Um, really, that means the only other thing to talk about is Mayfield, Ellinger, and our big debate question. I think we got to do the big debate question. Okay, I'm fine with that. We've we we've talked we've talked football for a solid hour. It's going to the big debate question. I um, think the offensive teams. I think that went a little longer than I thought it. Yeah, went, same so. here. Same here. So let's we can do uh, we can save we can save. Uh, Mayfield and Ellinger for next week, and also Bleacher Report for next week, and because we won't have a giant uh, NCAA story to talk about. True. All right. So if you're listening to this podcast and you heard the beginning, and I tease all that stuff, I'm sorry. We're gonna. Sometimes you have to kill things. You got to. You got to float some stories sometimes. So we're gonna get rid of uh, Baker Mayfield, Sam Ellinger, Terry Bradshaw stuff. We're gonna get rid of Florida State Bleacher Report, Jimbo Fisher, Willie Taggart. That's gone. The big debate question. Last week, we did peanut butter versus jelly. Which one is more important in a PB&J sandwich? Today, the big question we're answering, what's a better dessert, cake or pie? Who should start? I'll start. I have my <laughs> my takes on this are like way too nuanced for I, I do have opinions. I think I think it depends. It really does. And I know this is sort of a cop out. But I think so. Let's let, let's let's qualify it like this: if both if if both delicious treats are made <laughs> are made like to their highest ability to like the point where they're the best, it's pie, man. I, I it's good pie is really hard to come by, and I just don't think there is anything better in this world than a perfectly baked apple pie. It is oh so yeah. insanely delicious, and it's just the 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 crust. If you get if you get the perfect type of like flaky buttery crust to go along with just the delicious sugary cinnamony apples, I don't think there's anything better than that. And and this is uh. this is this is coming from someone. Hey, don't get me wrong. Cake is freaking amazing, but also at the same time, cake sometimes can be can be kind of hard to eat. It I, I feel like. Apple pie is a little more accessible. What? It's a little more. It kind of it kind of weighs you down a little bit. There's a lot of dairy in it. There's a lot of dairy in cake. And kind of, you know, if you eat, you can kind of overdo it with cake, and you feel like you're gonna die. I feel like I'd eat an entire <laughs> apple pie, and I'd still be fine for the rest of the day. Wow. Okay, this is gonna provide a little more fireworks than last week because we're both on the same page. But I don't really. Oh, th- yeah, but I, I. It's not like it's not like saying cake is the wrong answer i mean cake is amazing but just a, a perfectly baked apple pie is a special special thing and it's also very american too i have to throw that in there for for this particular week yeah that that's appropriate i think this is the ultimate to each his own debate because i'm clearly just different than a lot of people and i mean i'm different in the right way because i think all you people are animals and insane 
I, the answer is cake by a million, by a million. And you know why? Because pie is not good. Pie is not a good thing. And yes, hey, why is pie not good? You just explained how you think it's delicious, the best thing ever. You know, here's why pie is not good. Because fruit is not a dessert. You know what fruit is? Something somewhat healthy you eat that's part of a nice, healthy meal. For example, when I'm actually trying to eat well, like this time of year, it's it's warm outside. I want to I want to be more healthy. You know, my lunch will consist of chicken, a bag of raw vegetables, which are carrots, bell peppers, cherry tomatoes, and cucumbers. The four vegetables I can actually eat without gagging. I like Greek yogurt, and then. Some okay. fresh fruit. Okay, I am not going to stand for this blasphemy. You're going to sit here and tell me that pie is not good, and you're going to say you like Greek yogurt? No, like... No, get the, get, the, out, the, get, the, out, get off of my podcast. Health, talking about a healthy a healthy lunch. No, listen, let me finish. And the, the, the fresh fruit. I threw the fruit in there. Now, I usually save the fruit or the yogurt for last when I'm eating because it's the best part of the meal compared to chicken and vegetables. But if a piece of birthday cake was a healthy thing like fruit, I would pack that in my lunch every single day. Every single day. So I can't wrap my head around people who love pie because all you're doing, you're eating warm, gooey fruit cooked in some sort of crumbling pastry that has limited taste. It just, it's, it's so gross. It's so gross. Meanwhile, cake is just a delicious burst of flavor. The frosting is obviously the most important part. Except, except frosting, frosting, though. Frosting can actually be terrible, though. I know. I know. That's why you make sure to get buttercream frosting, which is rich and delicious. And here's the thing, though. And here's why I'm on the other side of this is so many people. I love chocolate. Chocolate is the best kind of dessert slash treat there is out there. Ironically, though, I don't like chocolate cake. It just it doesn't mix well with icing, I don't think. So... If I'm having any sort of non-chocolate-based dessert, I will always pick cake. Always pick cake. If you pick pie, you're just picking warm, gooey fruit. And fruit is a health food, not a dessert. <sighs> well, um, I think the disclaimer absolutely needs to come out. Lee is a notorious picky eater, so I just... I I've just... tried so many different kinds of pies, and every single time I'm just like, what is the deal here? What is the big deal? What's happening right now? And by the way, pie I've, pie can be really difficult to eat. It like falls apart. It's all like all over the place. That's not good pie, man. Good pie is easy to eat. Good pie is, 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 is very accessible. I, I don't okay. know. What, I mean, what we, what we really should be talking about is what is just the best, you know, what is the best circular baked good? And that's obviously cookie cake. It's like not even close. <laughs> okay, yeah, I agree with you on that. Cookie cake is... Cookie cake is incredible. Cookie cake with with buttercream frosting is 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 a, about the best thing on planet Earth. Oh yeah, I mean, a delicious, warm, gooey chocolate chip cookie is one of my favorite things ever. Oh, go- oh cookie no. cake get is basically. Here. I'm not a I mean, I, get out of here. I, I realize I'm in the minority on this one. I I do not like warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. Cookies cookies 100 of the time should be chewy and room temperature. Okay, sure, chewy, like, whatever, it, it, as long as they're not hard, like a freaking rock. The not only soft, cookie... I don't mean soft, I mean chewy. This is very important, a very important distinction. Fine, yeah, it just, it can't be hard like a rock. The only cookie that's good, that's hard, is Oreo. That's it. Oreos are, 
are an American treasure. You're correct about yeah. that. Yeah. Oreos are hard cookies that are actually delicious. Every other hard cookie is just like you could just do so much better. But you have but to Oreos, dunk them in milk, which is something I know you disagree with. So Yeah, I do disagree with that. What what are you doing? You're ruining the Oreo by putting it in milk. The milk doing, is for washing it down. Doing literally what the the fine people at Oreo want you to do. They just did that to try to sell more to make it a whole gimmicky thing. Do you, are you into gimmicks? You're a big gimmick guy, aren't you? Jeez. You're just a you're like one of those you're one of those people, aren't you? Unbelievable. The best thing ever is when you have like five or six Oreos and you haven't had any milk yet. And then you just take a giant swig of milk and you, oh, it's just, it just hits the spot. I raise your five or six Oreos. I raise, I raise your five or six Oreos with, I don't know, a sleeve or two of, of a ton of, of every singular Oreo dunked in milk with amazing deliciousness in every bite. No, because then you're ruining the milk. You're getting the milk all. Oh no. All chocolatey. Oh no. Yeah. The milk needs to be separate. It needs to be nice and crisp. It's separate from the Oreos. You're an animal. Come on, man. Yeah, so it's the, whatever. So I think we've uh, answered the age-old question of pie versus cake. It's obviously cake. So uh, there we go. Whatever. Nib high football Nice rules. try. Nice try. Uh, all right, so next week, preseason all Big 12 defensive teams and a bunch of other stuff that we couldn't get to today because Grant's got a hot date apparently with his wife. <laughs> okay. Got to put uh, in the work, right. man. Got to put in the work. All right, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I'm excited to, uh, we got, we got more stuff to talk about next week. That'll be perfect. All right. Well, happy 4th of July, everyone. Hopefully everyone has a a nice time. Grant, have a happy 4th of July. You as well, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show for Grant. I am Lee. This is West of Everest.